Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online, so you can access it from anywhere in the world. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whenever it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist with no additional cost. With BetterHelp, you, got, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% of your first month at betterhelp.com slash how to survive society. That's better com slash how to survive society. Hello, survivors. This is your girl, Abby Ayola Williams, and you're now listening to How to Survive Society. How to Survive Society is a weekly podcast that features survivors. These are people that have been through the ringers in life. They've been through hell and back, but they choose to stay positive. They choose to win. They choose to thrive and they choose to survive. So let's get right into it. Hello, survivors. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of How to Survive Society. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Eric Didario. He's a youth motivational speaker. He helps youth make better life decisions so they can live more fulfilling lives. Hi, Eric. How are you doing today? Great, Abby. How are you? I am great. The sun is shining. Um, summer is on the way, so <laughs> I'm happy about that. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Yesterday, I'm in Boston. Yesterday, it was mid to high 80s. So I said to myself, all right, I think it's time to take the sweatshirt off, take the pants <laughs> off, and put on the, the keep the short sleeve shirt on and put on the, um, <clears throat> the shorts. So, yeah. Definitely. So um, I want to, before we get started into what you do with youths and how you get start, how you got started with them and stuff like that, um, I would like to know more about you um where were you born where did you grow up how was your childhood yeah and that's a great question i me and my family we grew up right outside of boston in medford massachusetts probably 10 15 minute drive right outside of boston so right near the city in the suburbs growing up our childhood it was awesome my parents worked so hard every single day to provide for me and my three brothers. So yeah, as you can imagine, four boys in the household, it was, it, it was a crazy time, a lot of chaos, a lot of chaos. So God bless my mother and my father for, for raising us. But it was, they just did everything they could to see us happy, to see us succeed, because that's all they wanted in their life. And a big misconception when I go and I talk to youth, is they have this thought in this head, their head, well, if your brother struggled with addiction, your parents did. They must have been alcoholics. They must have been drug addicts because that's how this happens. And I can't stress enough that that's not always the case. And that was not the case with my my parents because they they provided 
for us in every way they possibly could, as good as they possibly could, again, to just see us succeed, to see us happy. And so growing up, me and my four brothers, we were so close. We all played sports. We hung out with each other a lot, too. And I'll I can I'll probably get into this a little later, but I actually brought my younger brother Brendan into the friend group, and he started hanging out with me, with my friends, and then my older brother would hang out with me and my friends sometimes too. So we were a very tight knit group of brothers. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so you talked about your brother. Um killing himself with overdose can you talk can you get into that and talk more about it and how it happened and um yeah what was the how did you feel yes yeah so as i said i brought my brother into the friend group it was me and my friends and he started hanging out with us i introduced them to everybody and everyone got along growing up and eventually, you know, Brendan really started really struggling with social anxiety um, because he had this bald spot in his head. He, Brendan was so concerned, so afraid, so nervous of what others would think about him, what they'd say, how they react. Because Brendan really, he wanted to be liked by everybody. He liked being the center of attention. He wanted... He wanted that attention on him. And when this all happened with that bald spot in his head, he actually didn't want that attention. But he felt like everyone was looking at him. Everyone, maybe they're talking about me behind my back. What are they thinking about me? And so because of all of that, he's going through with this bald spot, not knowing how to deal with what he's going through in a healthy way. He starts drinking, thinking to himself, this is what's going to help make me feel better. And when he starts drinking, he gets drunk. And all that pain, the suffering, the struggle he's going through, it's gone. So it's like, yeah, like this is digging himself. This is the answer. I found the answer. But eventually realizing that it's not the answer. Because when that alcohol wears off and he's not drunk anymore, all the pain and suffering comes back. So now he thinks to himself, all right, I'm going to start smoking weed. I'm going to start vaping. That's what's going to help calm me down. That's what's going to help relax me, make me feel better. But just like the alcohol, the same thing. When he wasn't high and that feeling wore off, all the pain and suffering came back. So, so then he thinks to himself, right, I'm, I'm really going to deal with this now. I'm really going to deal with this. And he starts messing around with the Percocets, the Oxycontin and the Xanax. And that leads to him shooting heroin. And not too long ago, he died from an overdose. And this could be a segue into why. Why did I start speaking with youth about making yes. health? I was going to ask that. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I was also going to ask, how old was he when he died of the overdose? And what made you go into helping youth and, um, and things like that? Yeah, he was 25 years old. He was 25. And why did I go into helping youth? Because I'll never forget the moment when the doctor walked into our hospital room looked at my parents and said, look, I'm so sorry, but you're going to have to say goodbye to your son. And then he looked at me and my brothers and said, I'm so sorry, but you're going to have to say goodbye to your brother. And I'll never forget the feeling I had in that moment of just being so helpless, of not being able to to help him in any way, of basically 
giving up the hope that we had had for the past few days when he was in a coma. And I sat back and I really thought to myself over the, the next few months after he had passed away, how could this been prevented? How could this not have happened? Like, what could he have done differently to have had a different outcome? And I kept coming back to making healthier choices. Now, the choice to hang around with different kids, the choice to have a different mindset, the choice to not making the decisions he did to drink, to smoke, to mess around with the pills. And so I said to myself, there are so many youth out there right now who are struggling with so much that they need to learn to make better choices in these tough moments when they're struggling. And I just started speaking to them. I just got out there and I started speaking to kids on sports teams. I started speaking to kids in youth groups. I started speaking to kids in school. I speak to high school, middle school, and college students and student athletes about making healthy life decisions, making those choices when they're going through these tough moments. Because I just firmly believe in these tough moments. That's a huge, huge moment in people's lives when they're going through anxiety, when they're suffering from depression, or when they're just so stressed out because of something that's happened to them or something that's happened to someone in their life or an event that's happened. When they make the choice to deal with what they're going through can largely determine how their life ends up. So I just, I started talking to them. I started talking to as many kids as I could to just about making healthy choices in these moments. Wow. So when you do talk to them, do you talk to them about finding their passion and their purpose in life? I, I don't really talk about finding their passion or purpose. I really talk to them about if you're going through a tough moment in your life, let's say you are really stressed right now. Maybe you're a high school athlete and you really want to get that scholarship to play at the next level. Or if you're really suffering from anxiety because of school or you're depressed because of what's happening in your life to take that first step to have the uncomfortable conversation and ask for help. And I talked about, you know, when we have these uncomfortable conversations, when we're in moments of being uncomfortable, that's what helps us grow as a person. That's what helps us get through tough moments like this. So that's really been my message for the past few years, especially during the pandemic was, is take that first step, ask for help when you're struggling. Because I firmly believe when we talk about our emotions, that's how we can start dealing with it. And that's how so many start healing from what they're going through when they talk to somebody about it. Hmm, that's good. Um, so how can you tell if a youth is struggling? Like, what are the signs? That's a great question. There's many signs that you can tell that a youth is struggling. I think the big ones, though, is something that they were so passionate about, something that they love to do. They just completely have no interest in it. I know, for example, my brother loved to play soccer, but he just stopped playing. He loved to play the guitar. He really didn't have as big of an interest in it when he was suffering from this disease of addiction. Another thing, too, is sleeping a lot. Notice that they're, they're always sleeping. Notice that they're really not eating. They're up in their room. They may be 
have a short fuse, irritated. So there's a lot of signs that you can look for, even weight loss or sometimes weight, large amounts of weight loss or large amounts of weight gain in a person. There's a lot of signs, but I, I always say, I can tell you all the signs in the world to look out for. But I remember having the feeling of something's off, something's wrong. And not saying anything, but when I had that feeling, that gut feeling of something's off, something's wrong, usually there was something wrong. So I say to people, definitely be aware of the signs, but also too, if you have this thought of, oh, something's wrong, something's up with my brother, my sister, my friend, take action on it. Because a lot of the times that intuition you have, that gut feeling is right. Hmm. So in that case, so what's the first step I, um, a youth can do to get help? Or what's the first step that a parent can do to help the youth get help? So you're saying, just so I get it right here, you, you're asking what the parents can do to get help or what the youth can do? No, what the parents can help the youth to get help or what the youth can do to get help. So I actually, this is a great question you asked. I'm going to break this down into two things, um, into two sections. First, let's talk about the youth. How can they get help? I'm going to explain the three steps that I talk about with youth and how they can get help, how they can ask for help. So number one, you've got to identify an adult in your life you trust. Really thinking, who in my life that's an adult could I approach and have this conversation with? Because this conversation, it's not easy. It's very hard to have. There's a lot of nerves. There's a lot of concern. There's a lot of fright that comes with this conversation. Now, this adult, it can be a coach of a sport team if they feel comfortable approaching them. It can be a counselor at a school. It can be a teacher at a school. It can be a friend's parent. It can be their parent. But the biggest thing is, is they approach an adult, an adult they trust to have this conversation. And it's important it's important they understand if there is a youth listening right now and they're struggling and they're saying, okay, adults I can trust. That doesn't mean that, okay, I have an adult I can trust to have this conversation with, that it's not going to be nerve-wracking, concerning, frightful, because this is a hard conversation to have. So regardless of who you're going to talk to about it with, there's still going to be some nerves and some fright and some concern because that's just, that's normal. There's a lot of fear that comes with this conversation. That's the first step, identifying who is an adult I can approach to have this conversation with that I trust? All right, now number two, now that we have an adult in mind, how do I approach them? And everybody thinks that it has to be in person. And it can be, but again, we talk about nerves, concern, and fright. Approaching somebody in person can amplify those nerves, the concern, and the fright of this conversation. But if you feel like you can do that, awesome. If not, you have their email. Let's say it's a counselor or teacher at school. Email them. If you have the person's phone number, you can text, you can call them. If, let's say, again, we'll go back to someone at your school. You can write them a letter, slip it under their door. If you're friends with them on social media, you can always message them. But the biggest thing is, is you approach them in one of these ways. And you don't hold back. You actually take action on this. And then the third step is, okay, now we know we have to approach a trusted adult the different ways we can approach them. What do I say when I approach them in person? What do I say in that email, in that text, in that message that I send them? And there's two parts to this. The first part is, it's just a sentence or two. 
just a sentence or two of what you're going through, how you're feeling, and that you just want to talk. So an example would be, let's say I'm emailing one of my teachers. Her name is Jacqueline. Dear Miss Jacqueline, my name is Eric Dodario. I'm really struggling right now. I'm going through a hard time in my life. Can we talk? And that's it. It doesn't have to be paragraphs and paragraphs of everything you're going through. Just a sentence to two. And then when you do meet with the person that you contacted, you do sit down and you do talk to them about what you're going through, the decisions you've been making. You're just honest with yourself. You're honest with that person about what you've been going through, your choices. And you just start talking about everything. And that's how you start healing from it. So those are the three big steps you take. Identifying a trusted adult, approaching them in any of those ways, email, text, in person. And in those emails, texts, or when you write them a letter, slip under their door, you just write a sentence or two. Let them know what you're going through, how you're feeling, and that you want to talk. And then when you talk with them in person, just talking with them about it, being honest, being truthful about what you're struggling with. And a big part of it, though, too, is, is I'll say this, is I'm not saying when you talk with that person in person, after you've emailed them, you've texted them, or you've written that letter and slipped under their door, that you have to let everything out there in that first meeting. You go at your own pace because everyone's different. Some people may be comfortable with opening up right away, but it may take somebody a handful of times to talk with someone to slowly open up about everything they're going through. But the biggest thing is, is you eventually do open up about it all. Mm, thank now, you for those. Go yes. ahead. Go ahead. So, go ahead. So that's the youth. I now want to talk about adults because the adults, I don't think they understand how important their role is in helping youth to get help. If you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a parent. If you even, let's say you're a parent and you have kids who have friends, you could be a trusted adult to them too. So if you're an adult and you have kids or you work with kids, you fall into this category of possibly being a trusted adult. But it's funny because right now, when I talk at schools and I talk to teams or youth programs, I'll have kids come up to me and say, Eric, I've approached an adult. I've let them know what I'm going through. And they just... Don't acknowledge my emotions, my feelings. And they just say, oh, you'll be fine. Give it a week or two. It's just a phase. Or they yell at me. They're pissed. They're mad. And I get that when parents yell at a loved one who's struggling, it's not that they're really mad at them. This is my opinion. I really just feel like they're nervous. They're concerned. They're afraid of what they're going through. Because it can lead to some... It can lead to an unhealthy, a devastating lifestyle. So as adults, we need to put those emotions and those feelings to the side. And when when a son, a daughter, when a person that you coach or a student comes to you, listen to them. Don't try to talk over to them. Listen to what they're saying. Validate their emotions and their feelings. And talk with them about it. Don't try. Uh, the big thing I hear a lot is when well, my parents, they just, you know, they, they just talk it over, over me. But as adults, we need to try to understand where our kids are coming from. We need to try to understand what they're going through. Because even me, I'm not that old. I'm mid-30s. 
and life is much different than when I was in high school. It's it, it, it's much different than a mid twenty five year old was in high school or middle school or call. It is life is changing so much, and so as adults, we need to understand that, and we really need to validate these these kids' emotions and be there for them, and we need to let them trust us and to gain their trust we've got to we've got to get to know them get to know what they're going through we've really got to build that trust with them so that they can feel comfortable approaching us because that's a huge part of the problem i'm struggling but i just don't feel comfortable approaching my mother my father that person at school because i think they're going to yell at me they're going to be pissed they're going to be upset they're going to be angry but just imagine how much different it would be if they did approach us, if they didn't have that thought, that fear of, well, I'm going to get yelled at. They're going to be so mad at me. I'm going to get in trouble, reprimanded. I feel like the home should be a safe space. It should be easy to approach a mother or father. And not to say that parents are doing this on purpose. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that parents are creating this environment on purpose, but it's the reality of of them not feeling comfortable being able to approach an adult and having that conversation. So it's just, it's important as adults, as teachers, as coaches, we, we cultivate that culture and do what we can to gain the trust of, of these kids. Thank you for those um, tips. And I I hope um, if any parent is listening that they'll be able to take this into um, um, into account. And because you're right, you know, sometimes when children are going through a mental case or a mental thing, you're just thinking like, but when I was growing up, I never went through this. So why are you going through this? Or when I was your age, I was already doing this and doing that. But, you know, so... I understand how we can compare ourselves to our children now because, you know, we never, we didn't grow up the way that they're growing up now where it's, it's like they're, uh, there's social media, there's TikTok, there's Instagram. There's a lot of pressure of looking a certain way and filters, you know, because I never grew up with all these things. So I, I can understand that can, you know, make someone, especially the youths, make them feel like they're not enough. So Thank you for those tips. Let me, so, let, let me just really quickly, before we mm-hmm. go into the next segment, I just want to add this. I just want to add this in that you're right. They're growing up differently than us. And there's, there's a stigma, though, that still is around from when our parents were around, from when adults were around. And it's a stigma that we need to get rid of. And that is, if I ask for help, I'm weak. I'm not strong. I should be able to just put my head down and I should just be able to get through anything by myself in life. And if I have to ask someone for help, that means I'm weak. That was a big stigma back in the day with adults right now who are older. I'm not a stigma. I'm sorry. That was a norm. Your parents, adults would probably be like, I just get through it. You can do it on your own. But there's so much more pressure, as you just talked about with the social media and wanting to feel like enough and being wanted as a kid and wanting to. It's just so much more stress and everything that we need to get rid of that stigma. 
we we've got to get rid of that and we've got to replace asking for help is 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 a weakness with asking for help it's a strength mm-hmm. it truly really shows how strong you are because as you heard a conversation there's a lot of fear and nerves that come with it i just want to throw that in there yes you're you're so right about that so um before we do go like do you have any tips for a youth out there that's going through something and um, how they can, you know, take the first step to ask for help. Because I know sometimes it's, like you said, it's it's tough to open up and ask for help. Or sometimes you don't even know that you need help, you know? So how can a youth um, start on the journey of finding help? That's a great question. So I got those three tips that we went over. But I would say if you're having trouble right now, really getting that strength, you know, the courage to actually approach somebody, I would say that you, well, as I said in the beginning, I'll go back to something I said at the beginning of this interview, and that is that in uncomfortable situations, you grow. And so this situation, this conversation may be very uncomfortable for you to have. But when you have it, it's going to positively impact your life. And just know that there are so many youth out there who are struggling, who were struggling just like you. But right now they're thriving because they were able to look past the nerves, the concern, the fright, all of the emotions and feelings that come with having this conversation, and they were able to take action. And they're now not just surviving, but they're thriving. They're enjoying their life. They're living such a happy, healthy, more fulfilling life than they were before. So I would just say to that person who's struggling, who's having a tough time to take that first step, to ask for help, that know when you do this, it's the first step you take to start healing and dealing with what you're going through. And it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not going to be easy. But as you heard at the beginning, and I just said, I want to triple down on it and say it again. In these uncomfortable moments, when you take action and you're able to look past the nerves, concern, and fright, you grow as a person and you get better. Thank you for that. Um, thank you so much, Eric, for coming on and sharing your story about your brother and also helping youths um, get over their struggles and just being there for them. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Abby. I, I definitely I appreciate this uh, being on your show. It was an honor. It was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> big, big thank you to our guest for, um, for today. And if you would like to learn more about today's topic, please go on howtosurvivesociety.com. There you can get um, some life skills courses and some merchandise and um, contact me if you would like to be a guest on the show. So thank you so much for tuning in and have yourself a lovely day. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. 
Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Let's create something great together. So if you ever need help to start your own podcast, reach out to me. And then you know what you can do also? You know, you can follow the link in the show notes, in the show notes that lets Buzzsprout know that Hi sent you so you can get a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan. And you can also support the show that way. So yeah, so if you're looking to start your own podcast, reach out to me, follow the link under the notes show and you'll be able to sign up and get a $20 Amazon card. Yeah.